As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson, and Professor Alistair McGrath. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources, and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. But now for today's show. In this series, C.S. Lewis expert Professor Alistair McGrath is delving into the Space Trilogy, arguably one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction. We'll be exploring the three books in the trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, Perilandra and That Hideous Strength. Do we have any idea who the intended audience was for the books? Because certainly when I think of Lewis's fiction, I think of Nylia and I think of children, I guess. And and this is very much not a child-friendly fiction, is it? No, it's not. The references to vivisection um, would alarm young children, I think it's fair to say. Um, So the the audience is clearly not intended to be children. Um, I mean, I know science fiction does appeal to younger people, but Lewis is clearly seeing this as an adult form of fiction suitable for engaging really quite difficult and complex questions. And there are a whole series of issues that bubble up and are never quite resolved to do with sexuality or um, the relation of men and women, a whole series of things like this, which Lewis very frustratingly doesn't really develop. He kind of flags things up and then he moves on. So we're left a little bit uncertain where he wants us to go or indeed why he said that in the first place. But certainly these are not for children. They demand much more attention and they raise questions which actually children just wouldn't be ready for. I think that the, 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 the demands they make of their readers really take them be, way beyond the realm of children's literature. And so who was it that he was trying to write to? Was it a Christian audience, a non-Christian audience? Did he have a particular person or people group in mind when he was writing? Well, these novels really arose out of his conversations with J.R.R. Tolkien. And in fact, you know, he makes it pretty clear that Tolkien's a big influence. And I think we could say, therefore, that really... Lewis is writing for people who enjoy science fiction. And what he wants to do is use this genre, which really has a long, big following, to in effect open up these deeper questions, theological questions certainly. But I think for Lewis, really, this question about um, humanity and the sciences and where, where this could take us if things go wrong. So one of the really important things here is that Lewis sees literature as a way of opening up deep questions which he would struggle to to engage in any other way. 
Now, Lewis dedicates Out of the Silent Planet to his brother, Warney, and, and he says um, that he is a lifetime critic of the space and time story Warney is. Um, do, I mean, do we know much about Warney's thoughts in, uh, on these types of stories? And did Lewis agree with him? Did he disagree? Frustratingly, we don't know enough. I think that's that's the key thing. What we do know is that Warney and Lewis were reading together from a very young age. And of course, they kept going in their reading and thinking um, in back in Oxford when uh, Warney and Lewis and Mrs. Moore came together and bought the kilns in the 1930s. So the fact that Warney was now part of Lewis's household, of course, and that coincides with the writing of these books. So it may well be that Warney had an influence on Lewis, or at least was a, a kind of a critical friend as Lewis wrote these books. But it's so frustrating because we don't know. We can guess the influence that Tolkien had. We don't really quite know what Warney's influence was, though he may have been both an encourager and a critic. So I think we can we can assume that Warney really did help Lewis, although it remains unclear exactly what their influence was. I mean, did he, did Warney like the books? Do we know how he, you know, do we know how he responded to the stories? Well, I think we have to assume that because they went into print that Warney was at least happy with them because um, sure. on the whole, Lewis tended to value the, the comments of his colleagues um, before actually sending anything off. But again, we, 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 we just don't know. It is very, very frustrating. We just have to say that um, uh Warney is clearly a, a, an important influence and an encourager, but the details really aren't there. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' death, resurrection and return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' death, resurrection and return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. You mentioned that um, he, he would have been happy because it went to print, but in one of Tolkien's letters, and, and you've obviously talked about the influence of Tolkien, um, Tolkien seems to imply that Lewis actually had quite a lot of difficulty publishing Out of the Silent Planet, the first book in the trilogy. Do we know why that was? And do we know if that was also true of Perilandra and that hideous strength as well? I haven't myself come across any explicit discussion of this fact, but we have to bear in mind that Lewis is moving into a new genre. He's established himself as one kind of writer, and he's now moving into a quite different kind of writing. And I think the publishers probably would have been nervous because they would have seen Lewis as trying to do something which he hadn't yet got a reputation for doing. Um, up to this point, um, Lewis had written um, Pilgrim's Regress, which um, didn't do very well. 
Um, and he'd written The Allegory of Love, which is an academic book, and he would write a pro The Problem of Pain in 1940. But really, Island um, Silent Planet was written between those two. And, you know, Lewis just was not known at that point as a fictional writer, let alone as a writer of science fiction. So my guess is publishers were, were just worried that Lewis hadn't established a presence in this field and therefore, the book might not do very well. So it's very difficult to know. But my guess is Lewis might have had to go around several publishers to find one who'd be willing to accept this. Do we know if the book was always going to be a trilogy? Or was it that he sort of started writing and then thought, oh, there's a bit more to unpack here? Was it, was it always going to be a trilogy? Or was it just did that sort of just develop into that? I think it developed. I think that Lewis may well have mapped out in his mind um, what a trilogy might look like. And, and in fact, you can see... You can see a certain logic about the way he approaches this. But of course, a trilogy would require um, a publisher to sign up for three volumes. I think the evidence suggests that this is on a one-by-one -one basis. And also, I think that the third volume of the series is much, much longer than the others and clearly shows the influence of Charles Williams. And and that that is perhaps the most difficult volume in the series. So I think my own reading is he began by writing the first, and then when that went well... Um, he he went on to the other two. Why are they longer as they go on? Is it because he's got more to say? Feels like he's got more to explain. Well, I think that um, he clearly is developing deeper themes. He's opening up questions for deeper discussion. With um, that hideous strength, it is quite difficult to um, to follow parts of the narrative because it, it is so discursive. The way in which he opens things up, and, and again, people. Are, feel that what he's doing is he's being over-influenced by, um, by Charles Williams, and, and Charles Williams developed his own particular style of writing, and Lewis seems to be mimicking it at, at points, and it, it doesn't necessarily work for Lewis as well as it worked for Charles Williams. Before we move on to other topics, would you just say a little bit about who Charles, William, who Charles Williams was and kind of what he was to Lewis? Charles Williams was a very significant figure for Lewis. Um, Charles Williams um, worked as an editor for Oxford University Press. Now, this may surprise readers, but actually at that time, Oxford University Press was based in London. They had a London office, and that's where everything happened. Uh, and um, Lewis and Williams began to correspond and build a friendship. But it really began to become significant during the Second World War because London was being bombed, and so Oxford University Press decided they would move out of London and take their work back to Oxford. And that meant Charles Williams moved to Oxford. Now, that meant, of course, that Williams became part of the Inklings. He and Lewis began to meet much more often, and it really Williams began to become a kind of literary godfather for Lewis. And one of the problems here was that uh, up to this point, really, Lewis's closest personal friendship was with J.R.R. Tolkien. And they talked a lot about writing, and you can see um, Lewis helping Tolkien and Tolkien helping Lewis. When Charles Williams appeared on the scene, um, uh, Lewis began to spend rather more time with Williams and less with um, J.R.R. Tolkien. So there's a problem there about their relationship. But the other thing, of course, is Charles Williams wrote novels. And had views about how Lewis ought to write novels as a result. And that's one of the reasons why some scholars think that um, the third volume of the series actually shows 
well, quite distinct style of writing, which doesn't really fit in very well with the other two. And they very often put that down to Charles Williams. Thank you for listening to this C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. We were hearing there from Professor Alistair McGrath, talking about one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction, the Space Trilogy. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>